Welcome to another episode of Conversations About Aging, a Catching Health podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, and I'm traveling around my home state of Maine, interviewing people 60 and above about their lives and what it's like to be growing older. My guest today is Sister Maureen Wallace, who is a Sister of Mercy in Portland, Maine. We were introduced by a mutual friend, Sister Ellen Turner. Ellen and Maureen went to high school together, and they both joined the Order of the Sisters of Mercy right after graduation. Thank you, Sister Maureen, for agreeing to be interviewed. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, you just kind of did a side eye there. What made you decide you're going to do this with me? Sister Ellen, she mentioned it. <laughs> said that uh, she was looking for a few people, so I said, oh, all right. I usually try to accommodate her. <laughs> Thank you, Sister Ellen. She said that you write all the obituaries I for do. all of this, Sister? I do write them all. Lately, I've written most of them, yeah. How old are you? 76. How did you happen to get the job of writing obituaries? I've been doing it for years and years. When I was on the team, I used to kind of do some then when I became the life and ministry coordinator, I used to do them for the sisters, and I was there eight years, so, you know, we were having an average of maybe eight sisters die. Some some years eight, some only four, and you know, because we're an aging community. So I just wanted them to be right. That's the way I am, and I wanted it to project who they were throughout their life, not just at the end. So I just started writing them. But... I always like to write. I write for Darren Pavilion. Uh, once a month I do an interview and I write one of their, wh whoever they ask me to write up, I do that for their newsletter. So you go and you interview the person, one of the residents or just the sisters who live no, there? No, no, the resident, uh, any of. Uh, Sister Carol is the uh, resident coordinator there, or manager, I guess it is. And uh, she lives with me, so... She asked me one day, because she knows I write the obituaries. So. Sister Carol Chance. Yes. Well, yes. I know her because my cousin lived there for a while. Well, yeah. I keep bumping into the Sisters of Mercy everywhere I go, because right. they, they've played an important role in my life ever since I was a student at St. Joseph's College in the oh. late 70s. Yes, yes, I was there. No. Were you teaching there? No, I was in the Indian Reservation for 31 years. And when I finished, I guess I wasn't at, around here, I was at the reservation at that time. I was at the college in the 60s. And then I went to Fairfield to teach for a year and a half or so. And then I went to Peter Dana Point, that's Indian Township. I was only there for a year and a half and they sent me to Pleasant Point. And that's where I lived out my 31 years in Maine Indian Ed. And now you're here in Portland, Maine. Now I'm here in Portland, Maine. I was elected to the team and back in 1999. What do you mean by the team? It's it's our governance team. Who who would the there were four or five of us who governed the sisters in in Maine, you know, for um life, for their um work, ministries, for um any anything that would um a sister may need um, the a religious governance, you know, to do with canon law, that kind of work. And is there still an office? Is it Sisters of Mercy of the Americas? Did yes. I get that right? Yes, that's right. And then that's where I went first, that uh, on Riverside Street. Mm -hmm. 
I um, we went from the mother house and I found that little building and um, I was the um, life and ministry administrator we used to call ourselves Lama the Lamas <laughs> there were five of us in the different Northeast areas and um, I was there for eight years okay. and then I retired we, we just have uh, two terms you know, like the government, <laughs> two terms. <laughs> Term limits. <laughs> right, we have limits. So from there, I went to, um, I took a couple months off in the summer, but I couldn't stand it. So then um, they they told us to take a year, but I couldn't. So then I went to Riverton School. And at Riverton, I went back to what I originally did when I left college, was to teach first grade. Oh my. And so I'm teaching first grade reading now for six years. And that's where you just came from. Right. It's more like a remedial. Kids that really need a little boost mm -hmm. to get them moving. That's, and we have a lot of ESL kids over there. Well, I would say 60% is ESL. We have 500 kids over there from um, preschool to five, fifth grade. So I guess it's fair to say there's no retirement for you in sight. No, no, not. I hope not, because I, I won't retire well. I need to go back to the beginning. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Quincy, Massachusetts, but only because my aunt lived there. Um, my mother and my aunt were both from Ireland, and my aunt settled in Boston, and my mother got married and came to Portland. And my aunt never thought that Portland had good doctors because she thought it was so far out of everything. So she insisted that my mother come and have the baby, who was, and that was me, mm -hmm. in Boston. So I went to Quincy, Massachusetts Hospital. And then um, my father was on the railroad, and he was here. And of course, once we could move, my mother could move, she came back here. And we lived on Massachusetts Avenue in St. Patrick's Parish in Portland. Know it well. And mm -hmm. were you an only child? No, I had a brother. Was he born in Quincy? He was born in Quincy, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was a year and a half younger than I was. Yeah. And it's fair to say that you grew up in a pretty Catholic family? Oh, yes. I went to St. Patrick's School, Cathedral High School, St. Joseph's College, and Fordham University. All Catholic. <laughs> Where along the line as you were growing up did you realize or decide that you wanted to be a nun? Well, I kind of, in, in grammar school we always had uh, different sisters and there was one that was lovely in third and fourth grade. We had double grades and Sister Mary Frances and um, I always wanted to be like her. Then that went out of my head when I had a few others <laughs> and I went to cathedral and we had Sister Joseph Mary and Sister Brendan. Those two were I was close to. And um, But I didn't really want to be a nun. I, want, I was thinking of being a medical secretary because I took business. And um, for some reason, um, it just came to me. And I would, I would this is going to sound kind of strange, but I would pray not to be a nun. <laughs> So, um, but I was I was kind of religious. Uh, you know, I listened attentively in religion class, and and um, and I went to mass a lot. 
said the rosary a lot, but my family would take us to the church a lot, you know, for novenas or not just on Sunday. So um, anyway, Sister Brendan one day said, uh, are you going to be, are you going in the convent? And I said, oh, I don't know if I'll go this year, maybe some year. She said, if you don't get in after high school, you'll never go. Because she probably knew me better than I knew me. <laughs> So Why? I went. You you said you prayed sometimes not not to, to be want... a nun. So it must have been pretty strong. But I was a kid, you know. I was in high school, so I didn't really, you know, realize. I think that um, it was my vocation, evidently. But your peers, your friends, they the, were you the only one in your crowd? No, Sister Ellen was in my class, and Margaret Coyne, and she became a nun too. And she too? became a nun, and. Judy Fairweather, she left, but she has since died. So there, there was uh, a Mary Miller. She was a year ahead of me. She's here. So there was a four or five of us, five of us, six maybe. And we're talking about back in the fifties or, or early sixties. Nineteen sixty-one. And yeah. you graduated from Cathedral High School. Right. We graduated in June, and we entered in September. What was it like to enter? Well, we. Um, we came over, actually it was in this building. We came over here and they called it the postulate. It meant our first year of introduction, you know, into religious life. And um, we had uh, Sister Mary Anthony was in charge and she would start gradually teaching a group of high school kids, really, what religious life was all about. So I'm sure we gave her a hard time. <laughs> At times when we were supposed to be quiet, we weren't quiet. I mean, some of them were, but I wasn't too good about it. And um, so gradually, she would teach us the different rules, so to speak. We we have a book, the Constitutions, I guess is what, but or the rule. And it would, um, each time uh, we'd learn about the vows, poverty, chastity, obedience, and the care of the poor, sick, and uneducated. And what we were working towards in a few years, and um, we'd be here nine months. And at the end of nine months, if you haven't gone home, you had the freedom to go home if you wanted, if it wasn't for you. And um, we wore special um, dresses to the floor, practically. White dresses? No, black. And uh, thin veils. And um, so if it anyway, if it wasn't for you, you could leave. And then, if you wanted to stay, um, we went to what we call the novitiate. So we had a ceremony called reception. And um, I remember my poor mother. All she did was cry. Um, did she want you to be a nun? No, she didn't want me to be a nun because um, in Ireland they were very strict in the convent. And my mother said, all you do is wash floors and sew all day. And, and I said, well, I don't even know how to wash a floor, and I certainly can't sew. <laughs> so my mother thought, well, she'll be home. I won't last long. She kept my room the same. Oh, so sad. My father was pretty good, but my father used to sneak out here to visit me all the time. And they'd say, you're not supposed to have company, but... Go ahead, 10, 15 minutes. So I, but they were really good about letting my father. My mother would say, she's going to get in trouble every time you sneak out there. 
Or sounds anything but what your mom had conjured up. Right, right. I have to stop you for a second because when you said here, so you, we are now in, is it St. Catharines? Yes, and this this was what we had for our, what we called it a postulate. And in that, during that time, because we didn't have these apartments, you know, we had big rooms for our gathering spaces. We had some classrooms where we started to learn, even even um, um, college classes were taught to us too, and and they would transfer it up to St. Joe's, you know. Up to St. Joseph's College. Yeah, it was it was sisters that um, taught on that level. Why didn't you yeah. move into the convent, which was out on Stevens Avenue? That's where we went the second year. Okay, so for the, for the first, first year, year we were here, isolated from the big convent because we had to learn the ropes, so to speak. And anywhere in that year, at any time, did you think, "Oh my gosh, what have I done? I want to get out of here," or did it just strengthen your resolve? No, I, <laughs> I'd say, "Oh, I don't know if I'm going to stay or not." Every month, probably, I don't know if I'll stay. Oh, I'll give it another month and <laughs> see how I do. <laughs> So that's what happened every month. Then it was time to make the decision to go across the yard to the mother house. And um, that was what we call canonical year. That was a strict year. You could only visit your family, or they visited you, I mean, um, four times during that year. And, and, and that year you lived in the convent, in right. the big convent. And by the way, when you first, when you enter the convent in those days, in 61, you could not visit your family. Why? Part of the the way they did things, the rule yeah. was just strict, and um, and um, your family could visit you every month. They could visit you, and and you know they'd come out and we'd have a picnic once a year with them and that kind of thing. But see, it was all new to us, so we didn't realize probably what the family was going through, what our parents were going through. And Mine, in particular, were going through it. And is that something that you learned later, or when you did get to see your parents, did they vocalize how they were feeling? Oh, yes. My father used to think this was a jail. And the first Christmas, he he gave me black and white mittens. <laughs> you had a good sense of humor, you and your family. <laughs> yeah, they did. So um, anyway, back to the... So it was time to decide whether you were going to go to the canonical year was which which was your reception and reception day meant that um, your family came you walked down the aisle and in the big chapel over there and you had on your black outfit from you know postulant year and halfway through you left and you went back out and um, a big room there and you changed into the white veil, the heavier veil, and the blood, and the, um, I think it was a white, no, excuse me, it was a black dress with the white veil. But out there, they cut your hair. Did so you go in as with a long sign, hair? Uh, yeah, well, pretty long, shoulder length probably it was. And um, that was a sign of worldliness, I guess, that you were not going to be so much worldly. And um, so when we came back in, excuse me, we had on the coif. Mm -hmm. See, we didn't have all that on before. And that's that closed yeah, piece the, that goes right over your right eyebrows. Over, yeah, so you only see your face. Mm -hmm. And then the uh, they call this a gamp. It was the round thing in front, front of you. 
and on the habit. And we had the belt and the rosary beads. My mother burst out crying. Oh, no. Chapel. Yeah. Did she want you to get married and have yeah, grandchildren and all of that? And she didn't want me to be so far away. And I said, well, wonder if I married somebody in the service and I was across the ocean somewhere. And then I'd say to her, well, you left your mother. You left in Ireland. <laughs> so, but I know. Did she ever come around? My mother? Yeah, did she oh, ever yeah, come to terms yeah. with it? She, once we could go home and once it was, yeah, I think she came to terms with it. She was all right, yeah. And did your dad take she, back the black and white? <laughs> <laughs> <I> wore them. <laughs> no, they were all right. They, my father was kind of proud, proud of that. My brother was a policeman and, and a detective. And I was the nun, and he said, "Gee, if I had had more children, I could have. I might have had a doctor." Or <laughs> they got married late in life. See, the Irish father, men, they took care of their mothers a lot. So your dad was he much older than your mother? No, my mother was older too. My mother was thirty-eight, and my father was um, forty-two. Okay. So they were they were older, and my mother's the one that wanted to be the nun. Oh, and you I mean still, she wanted to be a nun when she was she younger? She always thought when she came out here, she always was thinking, you know, maybe I'll be a, because she worked in the priest rectories, you know, and she was, she was religious, and she always thought, well, maybe she'd get the call. She said, I never heard the call. <laughs> I said, what kind of a call were you waiting for? Because <laughs> they called it the call in those days. Anyway, um, so I went to the novitiate. And that's when we learned, we had all the theology studies and a lot on the rule, on the Constitution and, and um, life as a sister. And um, it was more uh, cloistered, more cloistered than uh, the year before. And um, we didn't do our, um, we didn't do studies that year from the college. It was all religious uh, theology. And, um, I, and we had a, Sister Mother Austin, she was a little more strict, but I loved her. She was lovely. She looked strict, but she really wasn't that mm -hmm. strict. And um, so she'd try to teach us how to be religious, you know, not run up the stairs. Teach you how to be religious, you know. You might think religious that religious decorum, I'd say. Okay, try religious to be. decorum as opposed to be religious. Because isn't being religious sort of part of the call or how you've been oh, yeah, living your yeah. life? Oh, yeah, and both. I'd say both. You know, you want to deepen your prayer life, and we prayed more that second year. And, um, you know, like um, with the habit on, you wouldn't go jumping up over the stairs, running up the stairs real fast like I was. And um, we'd get told about it if we did things that, you know, were in keeping, I suppose, with being ladylike. Yeah. <laughs> so that lasted for a whole year, that existence, and then and yes. that's when then you Then we took... went into a second year of novitiate, they called it. So you had your first year canonical, second year was more active. So during that second year, we went back to the college, and we actually went to the college and took the regular courses, and... Um, whatever we were going to be, most of us were teachers at the time. And some of them that were going into nursing, most of the nurses in those days um, became nurses before they entered 
Oh, okay. You know, and they went to work that that time. I didn't realize so much formal education was expected. I mean, when you went to St. Joe's, that's what you were getting. Yes. Oh, yeah. And most of us went to college. There were just very few that um, would not not go to college. They they might do something else. So, did you have an aptitude toward? being an educator or did you have choices of fields that you'd like to go into? We didn't have a lot of choice in those days. Hmm. They, you kind of were trained to, um, to be teachers because of all the parochial schools that we staffed. And um, so the only other one would be if you were going to Mercy Hospital in the office, like for business or something, that might be a, another choice. I used to be at Mercy Hospital in my senior year. I was there from April to um, just till August. I was a stenographer in those days for Sister Mary Mercy. And I remember thinking when I entered, I'm not letting on that I was ever there because I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so the, no one ever said anything. So I love teaching. Oh, I good. always loved to teach. I even used to do it. You know, when I was a kid and had a little school, so to speak, with the neighborhood kids. Yeah, so. So you went to St. Joseph's College then and graduated. You have an undergraduate degree from there? Yes, yes, in, in education. And then from there I went to um, Fairfield, Fairfield, Maine. To teach. To teach, yeah. And at what point in this in this continuum did you actually take your vows? Well, that's true. After novitiate, after our second year in novitiate, we could take our first vows. Now that's when that second year, the in first year too, they kind of um, watch and see, and and you talk to the person in charge and see if that's for you. And if you don't know it, they'll help you discern it. Mm -hmm. You discern whether you should stay or not. So we had some leave because we had quite a few. I want to say we probably had 12 wow. at the time. And, um, you know, one by one, a few of them would leave. And then um, even, and then you, what you did was take first vows, which meant you took them for maybe, um, I think it was three years. So during that three years, when you were what we called juniors, we were in what we called the junior eight, we came back here. To St. Catharines. Yes. And they had, um, we our rooms were upstairs, and that's when we, um, most of us were all out, though, during the day because we were at school or we were uh, still at the college or teaching. So, um, or nursing at the time. And um, we would have some religious studies at night, theology or something like that at night. And, um, and then we also had to study you know, at night. So it was kind of like that kind of a thing for about three years. It's a lot of work. Yes, yes. And then um, at the end of three years, now you might be still out teaching mm -hmm. during those three years, but you were still discerning. Okay, so when you were at Fairfield teaching mm -hmm. and you were living up there, or right. did you still live down here and have to commute? No, we, um, I went up I lived here for a little bit in all summers and vacations. And then we, um, no, I moved up there and I, I taught. But the one in charge here would go and, 
and make sure she checked in with us and visit and all that kind of thing. They didn't want to just leave you off on your own. No, no, (laughs) no. And before that, I forgot this part. I did my practice teaching at Sacred Heart. And that's down on Mellon Street? Yes, yes. I did it in first grade. Well, so what year would that would have been in the mid-60s? Right, right, yeah. You, you may have had some of my brothers and sisters, actually. Oh, really? Uh, yep. Yeah, I used to, I did my student teaching with her. I never taught on my own there. Mm-hmm. And that's when, after that's when I went to Fairfield. What grade did you have up there? In Fairfield? I had first and second combined. Okay. First year teach. It was fun, though. I mean, it was an adorable age. (laughs) And we had about 44, I remember that number. And um, I'm sure I didn't know what I was doing, but I did have fun, and I loved it. And I was there till then we had a meeting. I remember this. And Mother Evangelist said, if anyone has a desire to go to any of the Indian reservations, to drop her a line. So I thought, "Mm, maybe I'll do that, (laughs) my fervor. So I wrote to her, and sure enough, in a year and a half, I was on my way to Indian Township. So you were there for just a year, though, did just you tell me? Just a year and a half, because in those days, we were assigned places. And one of the sisters left from somewhere, and then the ripple effect, you know, they have to look to see who they can move. Mm-hmm. So there were um, three of us there, I think. Yeah. There were three of us, so they decided to take somebody from Township, send them to Pleasant Point, because somebody from Pleasant Point left. Okay. So I ended up at Pleasant Point, and I loved it there. So I was there until um, 1995. Um, wow. But I said, no, 1999 I was there. That's a there, long time. Yeah. But you also went to Fordham. So where, In between. In between how? Summers. During the summers, uh, Ellen and I would go to Fordham. She called me up one day and she said, you know, I think I'm going to go to get my master's. And I said, oh, yeah, where are you going? She said, Fordham. I said, oh, New York. Oh, I think I'll go too. She says, well, you've got to get permission from, uh, I think it was Mother Dennis at the time. So I called her up. See if I could go too. She said, "Well, yeah, maybe Sister Ellen shouldn't be down there alone <laughs> in New York." So, Sister Ellen's um, cousin, Margaret Gargan, she was a sister of um, Franciscan Missionary of Mary, and they were on Forty Fifth Street. They had a, an orphanage at the time. She was in charge, and they were starting that transfer of sending the kids to foster homes and and so they had a uh, they had extra rooms. It was a big convent. And um so she and I went there, used to live there during the summers and go to Fordham on in um oh what do you call that? Lincoln Center. Mm-hmm. We went to Lincoln Center. And um Sister Ellen went into um let's see, she was in um I was in I'll do me first. I can remember that. Learning disabilities. And Ellen was in behavior. So we were. it was just starting learning disabilities mm-hmm. to be deciphered and what kids needed and everything. So that really helped me. I loved it. Loved it. And I loved New York. And they had something free on every on the weekends, on every corner. So I'd say to Ellen, come on, Ellen, let's go. 
let's go out. She'd say, it's 10 o'clock. I said, I know, but the show's starting down the street. And all the other nuns would be in bed. So we'd go down on the elevator, and we had a key so we could do that. And and then there was a place called Rosie O'Grady's, and they had all the Irish music. And I don't I don't drink, but I uh, I used to go over and we'd get I get ginger ale, and I don't know what the others got, but I had ginger ale, and um, we'd write on the napkins any of our favorite songs and a dollar, and you send it over to them, and they'd play all the Irish songs that you wanted. It was great. We had a good time. I'm thinking the average non-Catholic person, <laughs> I'm thinking the average person <laughs> had no idea about a, the fun you have. I, I know. I didn't tell everybody. <laughs> well, maybe now. Yeah, yeah. How long did it take you to get your master's? It was... Um, I think it was four summers. And then you headed back to Maine, and were you both on the same reservation? Uh, for um, We were a few years, but then she went to um, Peter Dana Point, and I was I stayed at Pleasant Point. Which is in Princeton, is it? Mine's in uh, Perry. I was in Perry, and she Prin- was in Princeton. So you were there for 31 31 years. years um, it would really be 31 total in Maine, Indian Ed. So it would be what? 30, 29 and a half at, at uh, Pleasant Point, and one and a half at Indian Township. So you're but 31 in Maine, Indian Ed. Were you teaching the first and second graders? Yes, first and second, double grades. Did you live them. right on the reservation? Yes, we had a convent there, um, right in back of the, where the church, the church was out front and the convent was attached to it out back. And how many of you were there? Um, there were four of us at the time. And were you the only teachers, or were there the teachers? Three from? teachers, and we had a cook. All from the Sisters uh, of Mercy. Yeah, yes, yes, that she used to, you know, get out uh, uh, dinners and then a clean. But uh, then that petered out, so we ended up with only three of us most of the time. And did you provide most of the education? Yes, yes. Um, we had one lay teacher, I remember, and he was the first one that was hired because before that it was always sisters. So, um, and he and he was there with us in the old school. And then when the government came in to de- and decided that um, they recognized them in the Indian land claims and all that, and we were gonna get a new school. So, um, let me say, that's when the lay teachers started to be, okay. you know, come in because we didn't have enough sisters to staff more than three grades and they they branched out into like five rooms and and they so they did get a new school they did they had uh, actually sister Ellen and I were the first ones in the new school uh, I had first and second and she had third and fourth so we moved over there with our 30 some kids and um, it was well it was like a palace compared to what wow. we were moving from yeah. So the Sisters of Mercy lived and taught on how many different reservations in the state? The three. The three All in three the of state. Them. Right. Yeah. Indian Township, Indian Island, and uh, Pleasant Point. And what's the presence there now? Sadly, there's no presence on Indian Island or on Pleasant Point. Sister Carol is still at Indian Township. Um, she just retired from teaching. But she's she's present as far as pastoral goes. Okay. Yeah, and teaching uh, religion and visitations and things like that. 
When you taught, did you get paid by any entity? We we got paid as social work, as a, like a stipend pay, um, I think until about the 60s. And then we got paid, um, they recognized us more as teachers. So we did get uh, paid. Now, I don't know if we got full pay. I can't remember that part because it all went to the mother house. We didn't. We don't get our own checks. You get just a stipend to yeah. live on. And then when we got into um, the government, we, we got better pay. Yeah, we After the land claim settlement? Yes, I mean. right, okay. right. So now we're going to speed forward because you were there for 31 years total mm-hmm. and back in the late 90s right. you left the reservation and you've right. done other things since then but suddenly here you are I know, I know. <laughs> um, how is life different for you now that you're in your late 70s well <laughs> slowing down um, in my head it's the same it's, it's very uh, strange um, I was always a little, I was always active, and I am um, probably a little hypo. That's what Sister Ellen says, that my dog is just like me. <laughs> and um, um, I always was interested in doing things. I wasn't one to sit around. Now, I'm a little more one to sit around. I like to uh, read or have some quiet and that's probably not like me mm-hmm. as much as uh, before because I used to say well no wonder these sisters get up early and they pray and that this is when I was first starting now they're praying and they're not having any trouble and I'm exhausted <laughs> I'm exhausted <laughs> and I'm trying to pray and this part's funny too I'm going back when I was in Fairfield there was about five of the sisters there, and we'd go to mass. I mean, we'd go to med- meditation. Like five fifteen, we have to be in chapel because we had to go to school and pray and then mass and all that. So anyway, I'd go in chapel and I fall asleep every time. So they finally says, "Well, you better go to the doctor. There must be something going on." So I go to the doctor down the street there. So he said, "Well, tell me about." how this happens. So I told them we have to get up at, I don't know, quarter of five and rush because, you know, the night before you get showered and all that. So anyway, I, I said, he says, and then what do you do? I said, we go in and we have to, we pray for at least a half hour to an hour. He said, well, there's nothing wrong with you. It's the rest of them. <laughs> so I came home and told them that. <laughs> Anything changed? <laughs> Not much. Not much. <laughs> But I used to I used to tease him and say, "Well, it's hard to be a Gemini, and a and an extrovert compared to the introverts, and and it's I I look at our community in general, and you know we have more introverts than we have extroverts, and when you look around and you you know how quiet some people are and and here I am talk 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 <laughs> well everybody needs people like you <laughs> so you just made me think about how back when you became a nun there were lots of young women becoming nuns yes. are there any young women becoming nuns these days well there are um, in the northeast see we, we're now all in the northeast together 
the government, so to speak, is Northeast. And um, throughout the Northeast, there are young people that are entering. Um, now, we're soon going to be one as far as the whole United States mm. and um, a few of the um, places connected with us, like Belize and, you know, like that. Anyway, um, and there is about 12, I think, at the moment. Mm. And they they all come together in one place, like it was, I think it might be St. Louis now, used to be uh, San Antonio. So it's different places. And um, and they trained, you know, to be Sisters of Mercy in the modern day era. That's right. You don't have to wear anything no, anymore. No, we just wear regular, yeah, clothes now. And what is your connection to a religious life other than what you decide to do on a day-to-day basis? Well, it's it's truthfully, it would be uh, your uh, the way you were, so to speak, brought up. Um, in religious life, you know, like mass, office, we say the office, but a lot of it is uh, private. So you don't really answer to anybody? Um, well, we have, we still have our administrator. What I used to do on Riverside Street, the place you mm-hmm. saw, um, we have an administrator there, Sister Mary Morey, and she doesn't call up and say, did you say your prayers today? But she provides things for get to get together for community because some people are living alone. And we encourage them to have somebody, one or two people they connect with, especially if they didn't feel well or something. Right. But um, we get together and um, like the book club we're in, some of us have book clubs, some of us... Um, you know, go out for uh, recreation, might go to a movie together. Or you go to Irish pubs? No. <laughs> no, I don't go to any Irish pubs around enough around here. I just came from Ireland, though, in October. Oh, that's wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. So there are a lot of different communities um, or places where clusters of nuns are now living. The yes. convent house... The mother house on Stevens Avenue is no longer a convent. That's right. But it's been made into apartments, and there are several nuns who live there. That's right. And, and then we also have, um, down on Kapisic Street, we have our uh, retirement. Well, it's really not retirement. I would say it's more assisted living. Right. And there's 16 sisters that live there. And um, a lot of us go down there and visit them. Or stay for lunch with them. So, you know, you you still are connected. Do you ever feel lonely? No, I really don't. And I, I thank God I loved, I do love it. I've had a wonderful life. I really have. I've traveled when I was on the reservation. I used to travel two or three times a year because I was principal to, um, oh, Florida or um, New Mexico Anywhere where there were Indian clusters of different tribes, because we always had meetings. I even went to Hawaii and to Alaska. You know, so I probably wouldn't have done that if I wasn't in the convent. It's kind, you know, like a gift. I mean, I really, I really saw the United States. And do you still Um, get to do some traveling? Not much. I did go to Ireland uh, because my uh, cousin just got married at forty-five. And uh, 
and before that, five years ago, I was there before for his brother, who was also 45 at the time. Like you said, the so, Irish... They yeah, they wait until they're later. Yeah, and we, we had a wonderful time. Well, that's good. Yeah, I have a, an older cousin my age there, too, and his wife, so I was glad to see them. I have five different families I keep in contact with over there. Over there. Yeah, yeah. As you reflect back on your life, mm -hmm. is there anything you would change? You know, I probably wouldn't. Because um, I love kids, and we got, when I was at Pleasant Point, we got to have a foster child for six months, which, um, because of our circumstances, you know, uh, moving around, well, most people moved around. I didn't move very far, but um, we weren't able to, you know, keep her. But we took her... Um, until we could find a family that would keep her because she had been in and out of so many foster homes. So I always thought that was a real blessing. And when she got married, oh, quite a while ago now, she called me and asked me to be in the do the reading at Mass. I think it was the Prayer of the Faithful at Mass. And, um, and then we saw her not too many years ago. Uh, we met and met her kids and and keep in contact with her on Facebook. So, you know, that's a blessing, I think, that we wouldn't have had. And also, I used to do, we used to do a lot with domestic violence. And we would, uh, we would have women stay with us. That, and um, when people were going away for um, alcoholic treatment, we used to take the kids. So... You know, I, I had a lot of rich, I, would, I call them rich experiences. And when I was on the reservation, I used to always feel when you walk out that front door, you meet the gospel. Wow. You really do. It makes me kind of sad. It makes me sad because Ellen's just like this because we liked it so much. It really was a wonderful experience. But... It was exhausting experience, too, because it was constant, yeah. you know. But you really gave back, didn't you? I tried. Mm-hmm. Tried. Yeah. You can only do what you can do. And you're still you know? doing it by wanting to teach oh, I at love it over there. I love Riveton. Mm. There's a lot of different nationalities, and that's why I see richness in that. Mm. You know, we have a lot of uh, Muslim kids. We have Asian kids. You know, um, all different tribes from Africa, and um, and they all have their own little customs, and you know, and I'm I'm amazed at them. Some of them have come from terrible war-torn countries, and the kids pick up the English so fast, mm -hmm. you know, and they try so hard. And I love it when little kids are going hand in hand down the hall, and they never see color. Yeah. You know, I don't know what happens, but they never see color when they're that age. When you reach this ripe old age of 76, six. you've learned a few lessons in your life. Right. So we need some pearls of wisdom that you might pass on to people of all ages. Yeah. Well, you know, I, as I've gotten older, I learned that some people are just not in a box. Some people color outside the lines. And... If, you, if we could only watch and listen and see the diversity in them, no matter what color, could be Caucasian, 
can be anybody. Um, because I think uh, we need those kind of people that aren't like like me, let's say. Um, there's a richness. And, and even though um, I'm not like that most of the time, I might be a little out of the box sometimes, but um, I think that um, it's, it's what makes everybody different. And difference isn't bad. That's what one of the lessons we need in society today, I feel. Difference is not bad. Difference is good. Do you think about what the future holds <laughs> for you and also for the world? Yeah, I, I feel bad right now about the world because I think it's, um, I think there's lots, so much violence. I think there's violence. You pick up the paper in Maine, there's violence. Somebody died, domestic violence. There's um, children. Look at the children that are in those cages uh, down there on the border. It's so violent. Um, it, I guess we're just living in a society of violence right now. Words of violence, you know. It's it's sad. It's very sad. And um, sometimes all you can do is pray. I'm yeah. not sure. I was just going to say you that. You, you used to have to get up a quarter of five and pray for an hour. You must be on your knees all the time lately. I'm on the other end praying. <laughs> At least I can, I can pick my time now. <laughs> so about you and your future, how do you see your future? Have you decided what you want to happen to you if you, say, run into those inevitable problems? Right. You know, I don't try not to give it a lot of thought because it could be discouraging, I'm afraid. But, um, no, I, I'm i just going to go with the flow. That's about all you can do, I think. You don't have a control of that. And um, I'm just hoping that when the day comes that I'm not able to do what I can do now, that I can do it gracefully. And that um, I, I think that um, I feel that I have, I've had a real good life. So I can't be, you know, ranting and raving about the future. We all have to go at some point. Mm -hmm. And I just hope, like I say, I can go gracefully and um, not not linger too long and <laughs> not much pain. <laughs> Wake up dead. Right. <laughs> but you know, you don't want to die till, while you're living. That's how I feel. So every day we should be living and not thinking of dying because that's going to come long enough. One question that I often ask people is what makes it a good day for you? So on a regular basis, what makes it a good day for you? You know, I don't want to sound like I'm some saint, but every day's a good day. Um, you know, if you're breathing, <laughs> you're up and moving. And when you hear so many people that are so sick, and I thank God that I'm not. It's it's a good thing. It's a good. And every day's different, you know, and I think it's up to me to make the day good. And there's never been a moment that you've ever regretted that you became a nun? No, really. Well, I do have to ask you, have you <laughs> written your own obituary? No, no, no. The, but I always ask someone when I'm doing, um, over there at Darren Pavilion when I'm interviewing, I always say to them, what do you want your legacy to be? And I thought of that one day about me, and I said, you know, 
The only thing I think I'd want my legacy to be is that I was kind. Because I think that's the most, one of the most important virtues. And com have compassion and mercy. <laughs> I think you've got that covered. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you've been listening to Conversations About Aging, a Catching Health podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, and I've been talking with Sister Maureen Wallace, a Sister of Mercy from Portland, Maine. If you enjoyed my conversation with Sister Maureen, please share it with a friend. You'll find more episodes on my blog, Catching Health, at catchinghealth.com. This podcast was made possible by Avida of Stroudwater, a memory care facility, and Stroudwater Lodge, an assisted living community, both in Westbrook, Maine. You'll find out more about them at northbridgecos.com. And many thanks to Smith Atwood Video Services for editing the podcast. See what else they have to offer at smithatwood.com.